from the inkwells of Noir. To the digital screens of today. The kids present the comic book character of the month. Kids and thanks for listening as we begin our exploration of our Halloween Horror Month Character of the Month, Jack O'Lantern. And joining me today is Doc. Doc, how are you? I'm awesome, Angus. How are you? Doing great, man. You know, Halloween is one of our favorite holidays here. And by the way, happy Halloween as we head into Halloween week. You too. Happy Halloween. Thanks, man. I tell you, Halloween is far different from when we grew up. But I mean, it has really become a commercialized major holiday. And, you know, you start seeing Halloween decorations and things start hitting stores in July right after the back to school sales. It looks like everything is sped up. I mean, now you have Christmas having exploded in stores, but okay, that's beside the point. But Doc, as it relates to Halloween, man, what's one of your favorite Halloween memories? You know, I'm going to sound really old saying this, but I just like the whole innocence of Halloween when we were growing up more. You didn't have these big stores like Spirit Halloween and things where the costumes were so elaborate and so detailed and and awesome. I mean, the costumes are awesome that they have at Spirit. But when we were growing up, it was like, you know, you would go into like these little like five and dime stores and they would just have these, these little plastic, you know, it was a little plastic mask that you wore with some kind of uh, like little plastic cape if you were Batman or Superman and stuff. And they were, I mean, they were horrible costumes. They were just so awesome in the same way. And it was, and it was just like, uh, you know, in the, in the streets of my neighborhood, it was packed full of roving bands of kids just moving from house to house and now it's like there's barely any kids out anymore and it's just it's just like you said it's just so different and i'm sure the kids still have a really fun time with it now but it just seems like it was just a bigger even though it got more commercialized now it seemed like it was bigger when we were younger and so i miss i miss those days <laughs> doc absolutely oh my gosh this is bringing so many memories i am right now you know uh, smelling the fumes off of the plastic costumes and kind of wondering where the carcinogens are going to kick in here. <laughs> oh, God. oh, and you would sweat to death. My face would be just soaked in sweat because you couldn't breathe. <laughs> I remember one year, man, I, I went to so many different housing developments. My feet hurt. And it was all about, you know, getting the candy. And then you got together with your friends. And then you traded candy for the ones that they liked and what you didn't like. And, and then, of course, we had all the mass media hysteria of the time, too. Of, you know, people putting razor blades into things. And, you know, people are drugging chunky bars. And <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was insanity, you know? It was, it was just ridiculous. We were living dangerously in the 70s and into the 80s, you know? Halloween's dangerous, kids. Gotta watch out for that tainted, tainted candy, you know? Make sure your parents check it all. So it was, it was fun. It was good stuff. But you know what, Doc? In the in the spirit of all of this, we have a really fun character whose name is shared amongst the big two, Jack O'Lantern. I mean, nothing more fitting than a Jack O'Lantern character to celebrate Halloween with. And we're going to break this up into two discussions. We're first going to hit the one that came out first, which was from DC. Their Jack O'Lantern character. And then we're going to turn our attention to the Marvel Jack O'Lantern character. So over on the DC side of the house, 
Jack O'Lantern premiered in Super Friends number eight in November of 1977. So there you go, DC. You get to stake your claim right then and there on this Jack O'Lantern character. And this was Daniel Cormack, and he is Irish. So very quickly, DC said, all right, we're going to make this a nationality-centric superhero. And Doc, this was something that DC was doing with their Super Friends series in having basically nationality-relevant superheroes to then team up with their core characters over on the Super Friends. So with that setup, these character here was created by E. Nelson Bidwell and Ramona Fraden. And with that, Doc, I'm going to hand this over to you to guide us through, since you are our resident DC fan waving that banner. And what were your general impressions of this Daniel Cormac character? And who in the world is this guy? It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. At first, you know, you think it, it's just a gimmick, you know, somebody in the writing room it was probably around Halloween. They thought of the, the word jack-o'-lantern. We'll be carving our pumpkins, our jack-o'-lanterns. They're like, hey, Jack is a first name. Let's, you know, maybe we could do something with it. I could just see, you know, coming about that way. It seems a little gimmicky at first. And the way that DC treats it, it almost kind of is a little gimmicky. But the thing I wanted to say first off was like this whole idea of, of putting this together. Because he was a part of what was called the Global Guardians, which was just like you mentioned, it was a group of different superheroes from different countries. And they kind of like were representative of their cultures and their countries, which I thought was a really cool idea that DC did. A little bit ahead of its time too, I must say, because you didn't see a whole lot of diversity in comic books back then. So I thought it was a pretty cool idea that they were even thinking about this. And so I did, I started with the Daniel Cormack, which is really cool because you know a little bit more about the legend and the lore than I do. But from what I know about it, it's like they did, they actually did their research as far as, because he is obviously from Ireland, Jack O'Lantern, they made him an Irish figure. They played pretty close attention to it. And he was, when he was a young boy, he started getting visited by by fairies and different mythological creatures from, from Irish lore. He always helped them. Like, for example, he met a, a leprechaun, and the legend is, if you, if you capture a leprechaun, you get its gold. And so he actually did kind of capture a leprechaun, but instead of being like, I want your gold, he kind of let the leprechaun go. So Leprechaun was like kind of appreciative to that. And then uh, there was another, it was a fairy. I forget what the exact thing with the fairy was, but he also, he helped the fairy out. And then when he got older, he was invited to this big, like, it was like this round table of all these like mythical creatures. And he was imbued with the powers of the Jack O'Lantern. And the different kinds of powers he had, he, and it was very, very similar, the look to it, other than like, you know, with Green Lanterns, they have a ring, but they use a lantern to power their ring. Jack O'Lantern actually carried the lantern with him at all times. And that's where he got his power from. I thought it was kind of cool. The the power was it was like the power of midnight. So noon was when he was the weakest. He he really rarely did anything unless it was really really necessary because his powers were the weakest at noon. And the closer we got to midnight, that's when his powers grew and increased. The powers were kind of a little bit scatter shot. He was able to fly with the lantern. Um, he had flame projection, teleportation, which he didn't use all that often. Which I guess if you're flying and you can teleport, one of those can go because you can just get anywhere you want anyway. He can cast illusions, which I really didn't see all that often, and which I thought would be a great way to uh, overcome villains and stuff and he had a little bit of enhanced strength i wouldn't call him super strength but it definitely was enhanced through the lantern and create fogs too which is kind of cool and it's almost like a little bit reminiscent of dr midnight 
the main one I looked at was Daniel Cormack, and his arc kind of takes an interesting turn. He was back as uh, as Angus mentioned, he was during the Super Friends comic book. This is when Doctor Mist, who is supposed to be even Superman calls the most powerful being in the universe, and he puts together, he starts putting together this international team of superheroes. There's examples of uh, of Rising Sun from Japan and different people like that from all these different countries, and he slowly puts them together and brings them together to create the guardi- the global guardians which their headquarters is the dome and they they kind of like are this super it's kind of like the un on steroids um, where they can monitor different countries and they have and they have a charter that says they can go to different countries and help out when needed and it's a it's a pretty interesting arc i really wanted to see what they were going to do with the character because it let's face it it kind of comes apart or comes comes across as a little gimmicky with Jack O'Lantern. And it's like, you know, what's going to be next? Uh, is the sidekick going to be Patty Melt? Unfortunately, there were a few times where it, it does come across a little gimmicky. I know, Angus, we, uh, you and I, we talked about the way he the way he talks in the Super Friends comic is he sounds like the leprechaun from Lucky Charms. <laughs> and it's like, you can't help but, you know, you see him kind of frolicking and jumping all over and talking, ah, we got to get me Lantern. And, you know, and different things like that, which, you know, I don't know nowadays, but that even be considered racist? I don't know. <laughs> you couldn't help but laugh. So it was kind of, right off the bat, it was almost kind of hard to take him seriously because of the way that he was talking. And I don't know if you want to add anything to that because it's it's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I, I will, Doc. I mean, I, I have Irish heritage in me. I, I think you do too, if I'm not mistaken. I do. Okay. So, so look, the, the, the first law of being Irish is self-deprecation. Okay. And humor and being able to find humor in just about anything and using humor as a coping mechanism in order to get over adversity. So with that said, we don't take offense to anything, frankly. All right. We really don't. Other than to just celebrate this thing as being utterly absurd. Lots of yees, lots of o's and, uh, you know, uh, just really butchering and laying into the stereotypical tropes as it relates to Irish ways of talking and and the, the whole leprechaun thing just was taken to an absurd level. But I, I want to backtrack a little bit just for the benefit of the listeners and read this passage from the first standalone Daniel Cormack story, which explains his origin. And that is, as a child, Daniel Cormack was told by his grandmother of the Finishi, the fairies of Ireland. One day, he caught a leprechaun who was thereby obligated to give the youth a crock of gold in exchange for his release. Instead, he let the fairy shoemaker go free. Now, there, there's another thing. Leprechauns, fairies making shoes and trees. I mean, this might as well be the Keebler elf making cookies. So, soon after, a small man named Fergus sought shelter from a storm. Daniel recognized him as the fear Yargara, who could cause great mischief if crossed. But Daniel bade the fairy welcome. Upon reaching adulthood, Daniel inherited his father's farm and granted an audience by the fairy queen Maeve. She presented him with a lantern, which enabled him to do wondrous things. In this manner did Daniel Cormac become the hero of Ireland, Jack O'Lantern. So there you go. And this is just done on a single page. So there's the origin story, real short and sweet, on a single page, on the first standalone story, and we're off to the races. Now, what's cool about this series is the first tells of the Irish legend of this giant, okay? And the Blackstone of Ardu, and 
the expansion of Ireland to create more room for people to populate and the population to grow, and this giant wanting to reclaim the sea and pushing the lands back together. And this giant is the Balor. So what's cool about this is that it's riffing on Irish myth and legend as a theme. So that that was the, the basic story of, of one. Story number two that we ended up reading, that one ended up leaning into, if I'm not mistaken, the Blarney stone and, and the castle. It also got into Irish legend as it related to ghost stories. And from that standpoint, it was very effective. The second story truly deals with Blarney Stone and the myth behind all of that and be able to spin a yarn and has to deal with Daniel's friend who happens to be a salesman, him being hard on his luck and sailing, uh, farming equipment and all that sort of thing. So the third story is actually the tale of the Banshee. And a Banshee in Irish myth and legend foretells of the death of someone. You know, the cry of the Banshee. And that's actually where we have the Duhane character in here. And you'll recognize when you're talking about the Duhane, which is basically a headless carriage rider or horseman, that was the basis from which we got the Legend of Sleepy Hollow and the Ichabod Crane myth here in the United States. And a matter of fact, if we're looking at Halloween in general, Halloween, it corresponds with the harvest season, the, I believe it's pronounced Sahane, which is this time of year where there is a gap between the living and the dead. And there's a reason why we have All Saints Day and Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, which is very huge in Mexico and over in Spain. And that's to celebrate the relatives and people that have passed on Day of the Dead. Well, the, the Celtic peoples, the Irish, Scottish, have this festivals and that was where they would carve out not only gourds and things into these horrible looking uh, little creatures and you would dress up well that then evolved into what we know today to be the modern day halloween so it's interesting that we're reading this character they are delving into this irish mythology these all culturally weave a tale that Yes, is somewhat stooped in lore and legend, also is leaned into the point of absurdity, but nonetheless is entertaining, particularly for a kid's audience. And what I mean by this is like elementary age school kids who would be watching Super Friends in the mornings in the 70s and then would be picking up the comics. This, this comic, Super Friends comics, was definitely geared towards that younger age demographic, not teenagers or even middle schoolers for that matter, because a lot of middle schoolers would have found this very quote unquote kitty, but it is nonetheless entertaining and, and in written for that level, I think highly effective. And I applaud DC, frankly, for coming up with a very entertaining character, bothering to do the homework. And which was really cool is Julie Schwartz right then was the editor of these books at the time over in Super Friends. And very similarly to when Roy Thomas or when Stan Lee would give a little explanation and reference over a previous issue or would give an explanation, Julie Schwartz does the same thing here. And particularly as it's guiding the reader through the Irish mythology origins. So from that standpoint, hey, all power to him. Good job, Julie Schwartz, because you at least stay true to the roots of this and we're making it more palatable 
for a younger audience. Yeah, I, I agree hundred percent with you. Like Super Friends, it's definitely a lighter comic. Like you said, it's it is marketed for kids. But in the same sense, it's like when you read it now, it's like they introduce so many really fun characters that you don't even see anywhere else in the DC world. So it was kind of cool to get these. Like, you know, um, like in the issues that we read, we read number eight, 37, 40, and 44. And these were kind of like where we see the Global Guardians, the the origins, even though they didn't call them yet the Global go- uh, Guardians. That's where Dr. Miss was kind of um, tasking all these different international superheroes that were going to eventually come together in the main DC universe. So it was, it was pretty interesting to see that. And uh, you got some pretty cool people, some of them that you knew they were one-offs. They were never going to see them again, you know, from the pages. But it was almost like they were using this as kind of like a proofing station to see if like... Uh, th- are kids interested in these guys? Are they kind of cool? Or, you know, and then, then they kind of go on and then th- that we see like really soon after that Super Friends 44, that was in May of 81. And then in June of 82, that's where we see the official formation of the Global Guardians in uh, DC Comics Presents number 46. And that was pretty interesting that he, that the way they did that. And you can definitely see a change in Jack O'Lantern, the character itself. It's, it's like you were saying, I guess it's, it's more lighthearted. You know, I mean, that, that third story that we read, he's just he's just going after two con men who claim that they have pieces of the blarney stone and then if you buy it from me you will have you know you will have the gift of gab and you will be able to sell anything and they target this salesman who was down on his luck so it's like you know it's like the the villains that he's going after are they're not super powered they're just con men and the the banshee he doesn't go after the banshee banshee's just like like angus said it's it's the forerunner of when the banshee sings someone's gonna die jack is trying to figure out who's that gonna be so it's a pretty interesting one very lighthearted as far as the Super Friends go, and it's just a story. There was just like, for example, in Super Friends number eight, he was just on the, he was just in the, in the uh, entire comic for three pages. That was it. That was kind of our introduction to Jack O' Lantern. Doc, I think a very important point in that introduction to Jack O' Lantern is that DC was very purposeful in providing a very strong bridge character for the reader to relate to. He was actually paired up with the Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. So that right there shows you they were serious. <laughs> and then that was his first mission. Right. And delving into those lantern powers and differentiating between the two, truly making Daniel Cormac unique. And doing that contrast between the Green Lantern's power and then this Jack-O-Lantern's power, which I thought was really smart. If you're only going to give him four pages, hey, try to draw out as much as you can with this first encounter. And I think they did a fine job. I think they did too. Because then we uh, then when we get when we get into the actual like what I call like the mainstream DC universe with DC Comics Presents, we see him with with Superman basically. Dr. Mist, he tasks Superman with creating the Global Guardians, with going around and collecting all these various uh, international superheroes. And they, they like I said they create the dome dr miss builds the dome and that's the headquarters basically of the uh the global guardians and you see a little bit of a shift you see that jack leonard becomes a little bit more serious and a little bit more superhero-ish he's going after actual other villains with superpowers and things like that and it's it's just been it was just kind of an interesting thing and i, I kept reading on because i really wanted to see an arc with this character and what they were going to do with him and it's it's interesting because i think in some ways they do they do move his character forward in DC, but in other ways, I think they didn't do enough as far as explaining why he goes through the arc that he goes through. So it was a little bit disappointing as far as that goes, because after in when the Justice League International are formed, this was in uh, this was issue number eight in December of '87. The basically the UN decides, hey. 
we have the Justice League International. We don't need the Global Guardians anymore. We're going to stop funding the Global Guardians. We're putting our money and we're funding and recognizing the Justice League International. And so now all of a sudden, all these Global Guardians found themselves out of a job. Some of them actually did join the Justice League International, but the characters of Jack-O-Lantern and Owl Woman, he took it personal and he, he took it very hard that they disbanded the Global Guardians. And then he ended up becoming a bad guy, which I think everything was there. It's just they, they just missed in. He could have used more pages or some kind of inner dialogue or something to kind of explain why exactly he so easily and so readily became a bad guy. He goes to the nation of Bialya and he teams up with uh, Queen Bee, who kind of rules Bialya. She ends up using different mind control techniques to collect the other global guardians. But for some reason, him and Owlgirl, they're not under her influence of of being brainwashed, and they are readily going along with her plans. They want to discredit the Justice League International and Justice League Europe, basically their main competitors towards uh, you know the Global Guardians. Like I said, it's an interesting arc. It definitely could have used a little bit more as far as motivation goes for Jack-O-Lantern. I didn't really buy the fact that he was so ticked off and that he so easily became a bad guy. Um, I wasn't buying that part of it that well. But eventually, in a fight with the Justice League Europe, he's left for dead, and then they they found they think he was dead and then owl woman finds him underneath queen bee's headquarters the castle and he's and the real jack-o'-lantern is chained up and they free him then eventually dr mist gets back involved and then a new global guardians there's actually an, an issue called the real return of the global guardians in justice league quarterly number eight so we do get to see kind of this return but it's like he goes you know from good guy to bad guy to good guy and it just becomes a little bit unbelievable that people would accept him as a good guy anymore because he did such he did some pretty bad things with queen bee and everything so it was uh it wasn't the greatest arc that i've read as far as a character goes and i was hoping there would be something meaty there and it wasn't it was kind of kind of a lot of filler and there was a lot of characters going on too so i kind of understand why they didn't just focus on him but it seems to me that he was kind of being set up as this main character because he was not brainwashed and he was readily going along with queen bee so you know what's the motivation there and they kind of they kind of left me a little bit high and dry on that. But it was an interesting little arc with the Global Guardians and then with Queen Bee and everything and how they come back and make full circle and becomes the hero. And then he ends up dying of natural causes. <laughs> and then we move on to the next one, which I really didn't focus on the other two because he was definitely the main jack-o'-lantern in these stories. Yeah, and as you can see, kids, we just were reading the Super Friends for the selection for the month, but Doc, being the completest that he is, said, hey, you know what? Let me see if... The transition happened with the introduction of Jack-O-Lantern into the mainstream DC universe and multiverse. What really became of this character? And Doc, that's absolutely fascinating that DC would wrestle with this third-tier character. First, him starting out as a hero, then making him almost an anti-hero and villain at some points, and really not knowing what to do with him over time. It really became some interesting fodder for some writers and artists to play with. So, you know, from that standpoint, he's an interesting character historically over at DC. And, oh, by the way, most likely not the first or last to have such a fate. Yeah, it was it was interesting. But, you know, for what we were what we really read for this week, those super friend stories, I recommend them. I think they're really fun stories and I think they're lighthearted. And it definitely will, if you're interested, you know, if you want to find out, oh, you know, how do we actually get to this Global Guardians? You know, you, that's what kind of urged me on and spurred me on. So they're definitely fun stories for sure. And kids, I could not have said it any better than doc just did right there and we would love to hear from you once you have read these super friends issues and the daniel 
Cormac Jack O'Lantern character. Please leave us a message via the Anchor app or send us an email at Kirby's Kids Podcast at gmail.com. Gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Superman! Batman and Robin! Wonder Woman! Aquaman! And the Wonder Twins, Sand and Jaina, with their space monkey, Bleak. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. <laughs> <laughs>